0: Frank Ling and I'm Charles Lee, and you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Professor Stuart Shanker will join us to discuss self-reg for a just society. So stay tuned for all of this, plus the Grokatron five thousand, and our world famous question a week. Coming right up here on the Grok's Science Show. science show. Well, how do we create a truly just and free society? Could it begin with how we see and nurture our children? Well, joining us today to discuss this is Professor Stuart Shanker. Professor Shanker is a distinguished research professor emeritus of philosophy and psychology at York University and founder of the Merit Center. He is a world authority and best-selling author on the topic of self-regulation and child development and the former president of the Council of Early Child Development. He has penned the new book, Reframed, Self-Reg for a Just Society, and he joins us today to discuss this very fascinating topic. And Professor Schenker, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Uh, Really a a fascinating topic, but why did you decide to pen this particular book?
1: This is a book that took me about 20 years to write. We have rolled out this program in Canada called Self-Reg, and it's pretty much everywhere now in the country in our schools and working with parents. And the one thing I kept seeing over and over was there's something holding kids back in both early school and high school. And with the advances that we've got in neuroscience, we had a pretty good idea of how we could, we call it, release their limbic breaks. In other words, really get that kid starting to learn. And so that was the book that had to be written.
0: This is a term we haven't heard so much over in the States, self-reg. What goes behind this?
1: It's a really great question, actually. I was asked by a number of people to bring self-reg into the U.S., and we thought now was really the time to do it. Self-reg is a five-step method, and it really involves figuring out what the stresses are that a kid is dealing with. And stress is a complicated thing. We look at five domains of stress, and we figure out the stresses, how to reduce them, and then really teach the kid how to do this for himself. And the results are really quite astonishing. So you mentioned at the outset how we see this as a recipe for a truly just society. And what we mean by that is it's not just a case of giving a kid an opportunity to, say, get a good education, but really making them psychologically capable of seizing that opportunity. And that's what this is all about.
0: Why is it that the system that's in place right now doesn't adequately prepare students and children to make use of the education that might be afforded to them?
1: Well, you know, there's been a real revolution going on in neuroscience over the last 20 years. And essentially what's happened is with our new imaging technologies, we've been able to go deep inside the brain. And so we can analyze what's happening. It's called the subcortex or the limbic system. And we can now study how that these non-thinking parts of the brain affect the thinking parts of the brain there's a sort of two-way traffic going on between the subcortex and the neocortex or the prefrontal cortex so that revolution in neuroscience has occurred at exactly the same time as a revolution in psychophysiology and then in psychology and psychiatry and when you put all those together it enables us not just to understand why a kid is having problems. So in my previous book, we were really looking at behavior problems. That book is about understanding why this kid is overstressed and what we can do to reduce those stresses. Now, the next step in the argument is uh, paradigm revolution in science also enables us to figure out why a kid, you know, you've got this kid and you know that this kid is smarter than the kid is demonstrating. And so what we wanted to figure out is what's holding the kid back, and if we can figure that out, do we have ways to actually release the brakes that are holding him back? And the answer is yes. The answer is that we're at that point now where we can really understand in a way that couldn't understand, say, 15 or 20 years ago, why a kid refuses to even try. And this is a big breakthrough for us.
0: The book goes into it in great detail. A lot of people might be familiar, at least general idea of primitive type brain that controls our emotions, and we have higher brain that's supposed to be regulating it. Are there new aspects to this communication street between old and new brain?
1: So what you just said is great, right? And that's certainly a part of it, but there are other aspects. And so now what we what we understand is that one of the functions of this of this older brain is to regulate how much energy we're going to expend on something, and if, if we start to dip below a certain threshold, um, you know, we measure glucose in the bloodstream. And if it goes too low, that, this lower system actually stops the prefrontal parts. It actually blocks us, the recovery system. And so what we then want to figure out is, okay, so this kid is burning way too much energy. And now the question is, why? And you start to break that down. And essentially... The key here is the concept of self-regulation. And the concept of self-regulation originally was introduced as a way of, it simply meant how we deal with stress. That's all it meant. And as everybody knows, there's an inverted U curve here. Some stress is really important. We need stress to wake up and to really be challenged. But too much stress and that curve drops off, our performance drops off, we can't work anymore. And so what we wanted, we wanted to analyze is what are the different kinds of stresses? Now, you just mentioned an important area, and that's emotional stress. But then there's physical stress, hot, cold, noise, too much light, not enough light. There's social stress, the stress of other kids, there's pro social stress, how do I look in front of the other kids? But the big one we were really interested in in this book is cognitive stress. What is a cognitive stress? And what can I do to enhance this kid's ability to deal with cognitive stress? So, okay, the best example is math. Math is is a big cognitive stress. And we've known this forever. And one of the main reasons why is because it makes huge demands on working memory. Now, the thing about concentration or problem solving is it really taps into that old system you just referred to. It's an old system that was designed for hunting. And we adapted it, humans adapted it for problem solving. But we go through, when we have a problem, we go through the same physiological response as when we're hunting. In other words, we can measure how hard a kid is working. His blood pressure goes up, his heart rate goes up. He begins to sweat, he's clenching all of his muscles. If you watch kids, you'll see that their whole body is involved in working on these problems. Now, the thing with math is if a kid has slight handicaps in what's called math cognition, that kid is working way, way harder. Math, the, the math question for him is requiring twice as much energy as the kid beside him. And then you've got this limbic system and it's measuring how much energy, how much glucose he's burning on this problem. And if he reaches a certain point where he's burning too much, it shuts the whole thing down. It stops that prefrontal cortex. It says no more. Now, is there a way for us to help this kid to reduce the cognitive stress so that not only can he, but that he wants to solve math? And the answer is yes, this can be done. We had Huge advances now in how to reduce the stress, the cognitive stress of math, so that every child can actually conquer this.
0: Sounds like things which might seem uh, logically benign wind up causing stress and activating these old systems that cause us to shut down.
1: Would you mind if I steal that? (laughs) That was really well put.
0: Well, how do we then allow the the student then to reduce that amount of stress and make sure that the system doesn't shut down?
1: So if we're the parent or an educator that has a kid that we, we feel strongly, this kid has way more potential than he's showing, how do I know when it's a case that it's this thing I'm describing, limbic breaking, how do I know it's that and how do I, and it's not that he's just not trying, he's being lazy are there signs that tell us when it's actually limbic breaking that's a big part of this and it turns out there are so i'm sure you know you're all familiar with uh, the work of dan kahneman and kahneman started his career he made a huge discovery we can pinpoint to the exact to the to the minute when the limbic breaks kick in uh, and what happens is uh, the pupils dilate and they reach maximum dilation and that's the point at which the brakes kick in. Now, for, say, mom and dad or a teacher, are there other signs? You know, I can't go around staring at eyes. And it turns out that we have lots of signs of when it's, when it's stress behavior, not misbehavior. And that's what the book, you know, I mean, that's a big part of the book, teaching what those signs are and things like the kid's tone of voice or even something like their facial complexion. There's lots of signs of when it's stress behavior and not misbehavior. Now, this is key because if it's stress behavior, if it's limbic breaking and we shout at the kid or we punish the kid, he's going to shut down even more. We're doing the exact opposite of what we need to do. So what we need to do when this happens is we have to release the brakes and then he'll come back and he'll want to solve the problem. We're finding that in all the work we're doing, Motivation is not the issue. It turns out that once the kid feels that sense that I can do this, they're off to the races.
0: Is there a biological difference? Do some individuals have quicker ability to activate these brakes? Seriously, that's such a great question. Because yes,
1: there are these biological differences. And so what we find is, uh, let me give you a really great example. So we've done a lot of work on IQ testing. And what we realized was some time ago now, An IQ test is a stress test. It's designed as a stress test. And the stress gets greater and greater. And so let's say I've got a kid that stops at uh, the level that we measure is 97. Now, what's happened is he's stopping because the limbic brakes are kicking in. It's a stress test. And it stops him, you know, at roughly speaking the midpoint compared to all his other peers. But now that's really interesting, isn't it? Because now our question is, are there biological reasons why he's stopping there? And if there are, can we reduce those biological factors? So scientists started experimenting. You know, what if we change the time of day? Could that be a factor? Yes, it is. What if, we, what if we do things like change the environment? Now, we've gone further than that, because now it turns out that there are biological differences as well as emotional that affect his work or her working memory. Can we use this test, the IQ test, as a sort of key that tells us this child is stopping here. If we were to reduce these cognitive stresses, would we actually find that the kid does better? And the answer is yes. And we saw this over and over in our research clinic. So if you look at any major experiment in psychology over the last, let's say, 50 years, they're all stress tests of one sort or another. The marshmallow task is a stress test. The stranger anxiety is a stress, they're all stress tests. And so they're telling us how kids deal with different kinds of stress. Now, we know that there are significant biological and neurobiological factors affecting that. And we have a pretty good idea now of how we can reduce whatever the stresses are so as to enhance the child's, not just the child's performance, but the child's behavior, and the child's well-being.
0: How does it differ based on the age of the child?
1: Yeah, and let's factor in something else, which I think you're kind of hinting at. The brain's gonna go through some massive changes around the ages of eight to 10. So you can have a kid that's done really, really great in elementary school, and then things fall apart on the kid when they get into high school. And we have a pretty good understanding now of what the changes are in the brain when they hit puberty or just before they hit puberty so you know all the stuff right so they become much more tuned to peer interactions they have a heightened sensitivity to social stress all those things so then the question is uh, it's a sort of a double answer i want to give you one is that you can think you know this kid perfectly and then the little bugger changes on you okay so what was true yesterday isn't true today what was a stress. What was not a stress yesterday is suddenly a stress. But having said that, we have to go a step further with the different ages. When they become teens, we now have to have a different set of stress reduction. I mean, the short answer here is in our work with teens, we shift to teaching them everything that we know. Teens need to have that sort of self-mastery. They need to know what's going on. Whereas with kids, we're going to be the ones that are doing most of the regulating with teens we've got to switch that around now so that they become the agents of their own self-regulation
0: a lot of people don't see that shift happening until maybe even child supposed to go off to college or beyond
1: well you know there's another one right so i mean now there's a big debate going on uh when do they stop when did they actually become adults uh some guys are thinking uh, you know my own views around the age of 24 but what does what is clear is that there are these stages of development. I wanna take your, your point a step further. So there are these stages of development and self-reg has to adjust, uh, let's say for the young adult. But exact, we've seen, we're seeing exactly the same thing with seniors. So with seniors, if we can enhance their ability to self-regulate, seniors are prone to maladaptive modes of self-regulation. If we can shift them into adaptive modes, their health indices improve dramatically, not just their mood, not just their cognition, but also their actual state of health. So there's no point in the age, uh, in the lifespan, where we can't adapt and apply self-reg to the stresses that are, let's say, unique to a 40-year-old or the stresses that are unique to a 60-year-old.
0: The broader message of the book is that learning these ideas, methods, really is framework for broader societal change in terms of how people can interact with one another and overall, as you put it, forming a just society. I mean, how do we make that leap, that connection there?
1: Perfect timing, because I just did a huge uh, conference yesterday, a virtual one, talking just about this issue. When the subcortex, this this non-thinking part of the brain, is in control, we call it red brain, Okay. And call it red brain because in my neural lab, it shows up as red. So when someone's in red brain, what happens is that you have reduced prefrontal, reduced what we call blue brain functioning. You don't process as well. You don't think as well. You don't hear. We, throughout the West, are in a state now of acute polarization. And what happens uh, in polarization is if you've got two groups that are in deep red brain. They don't hear what the other one is saying. There is no sort of meaningful dialogue. There's no connecting of minds. We call it the interbrain and this interbrain isn't connected. So the first step, if we're going to, if we're going to, you know, we've got big problems now. And if we're going to, if we're going to have constructive approaches to solving them, we have to get past the polarization. But that means we have to be, we have to get out of being in red brain. So that before you get to any, any kind of constructive problem solving, we have to all get back into what we call blue brain, red brain balance. We have to get that, that prefrontal back online. If we are threatening each other, if we are shouting at each other, then we stay, stay stuck in red brain. So one of the things that we're trying to do, and that's the last chapter of the book, the, the chapter before that is I'm trying to really – to create, raise children and teens that will become this kind of reflective citizen. For that, to be ha- for that to be possible, they have to learn what calmness is. We are seeing a generation now that doesn't know what, what it feels like, what it means to be calm. If, when we go through uh, our five sets of self-reg, the fourth step is called, uh, is called reflection. But really what it's about Is them learning not just what calmness feels like, but what it feels like when they are starting to become overstressed and what they can do to restore their energy to get back into that balanced state. When they do that, then they hear, then they process. Now, we we learned something else really important. There's a study came out yesterday just about this. Every kid, you know, you've got that. I saw you've got that saying that we have. There's no such thing as a bad kid, stupid kid or lazy kid. And you're starting to get a sense of what we mean by that, right? One of the things we've found is that the problem isn't how do we teach children to control their negative impulses? It's the opposite. Kids are born with positive impulses. They're born with precursors of empathy and altruism. And something blocks that. Something, something interferes with the natural growth of their empathy. And then the question is, what is it that interferes with it? it's stress. It's, the stress load is too great. The same point applies to the polarized state of, of modern politics. What's causing this polarization? It is stress. So if we want to get out of this, we have to learn how to reframe our own behavior, how to reframe our friend's behavior, our society's behavior, and figure out, okay, now how do we get back into that balanced state where we can start to figure out what the hell are we going to do
0: there's always going to be this stress in the political system, but with a populace that perhaps isn't able to self-regulate, it's always going to tip more to the red brain overall. So unless you have a populace that's able to regulate, not really gonna be able to get into this balance.
1: Yeah, and now throw in a pandemic on top of it, right? The yeah. pandemic is a huge stress. But look, I mean the answer here is clear. If we can figure out what can we do as a family, as a as a neighborhood, what can we do? To reduce the stresses that we can so that we can cope with the stresses that we must, what happens is your ability to to think outside the box expands. Now, our goal in all this is we have this saying that we're going to do it one kid at a time, one mind at a time. When family sees what we can do for their child, that gets out. You know, we never tried to, we never, we have never tried to advertise or popularize what we're doing. But what happened was we started to work with schools, parents see what's happening. The message gets out. Other schools want to do it. And so now we've got literally, we've got thousands and thousands of people that are doing this and the overall, and then what happens is it begins to affect other stresses in their lives. And, you know, we talk about how stressed kids are today. Mom and dad are this, the stress load on parents is unbelievable today. so, can we come up with techniques? The answer is yes, but only if first we know when we are overstressed.
0: That's the key here. Maybe if you have some final words regarding book, people want to learn more about self-reg, where can they go?
1: Okay. So as far as where they can go, we have all kinds of free information on our website, which is self-reg.ca. self-reg.ca. And the final message is i'll share something with you i gave a talk just recently in Yellowknife, northwest territories and it was in the dead of winter and it was minus 42 and i was in a theater and all the levels were packed it was it was unbelievable and i'm freezing and so at the end of the night i said to them you know guys i gotta ask you something what what are you all doing here it's cold outside and a voice from the upper tier shouts down, it's because you give us hope. And that's what this is all about.
0: Well, we were just talking with Professor Stuart Shanker. He has written the new book, Reframed, Self-Reg for a Just Society. Professor Shanker, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thanks. I enjoyed it.